So Easter changes everything. That's been our theme over the last couple of weeks. And we've been looking at the cross from different angles to gain a greater understanding of what Jesus has done for us. We've seen that Jesus is the remover of shame. We've seen that Jesus is the victor over sin, demonic powers, and death. And today, we're going to see that Jesus is our substitute. That he who is innocent becomes guilty, so that all of us who are guilty can become innocent. And if you come here on Sunday, we're going to see that Jesus is the true Redeemer. That's right, amen. In our culture, the concept of substitution is very common to us. Particularly if you're a sports fan in the room, you'll know that substitution means one person taking the place of another. I used to play football for my university when I studied in Cardiff. And um, I was playing for Cardiff Metropolitan University. And we had an upcoming cup match against our local rivals, Cardiff University. So we trained really hard. We wanted to beat our local rivals. And um, we went into the game optimistic. But just after 11 minutes of the game, we were 3-0 down. (laughs) Awful. Each goal. Believe me, each goal was really similar. Their right winger would get the ball, take on our left back, get to the byline, and cut it back for their striker just to have a tap in at goal. Every goal, the same. Our left back was having a horrible game and was substituted for another player after just 11 minutes. In many ways, it was a great substitution. We didn't concede any more goals, and we went on to win the game 4-3. Amazing. (laughs) You you, you applaud. Um, But let me ask you a question. Guess who was the left back? That's right. So, horrible, horrible for me. Terrible situation to be in. But to be fair to our manager, it was a great substitution. But today, as we look at the cross we're going to be thinking about an even greater substitution. And I want to suggest this morning that every single one of us need to be substituted. We've already read the account in Mark 15 and the story of Barabbas, and we've also read Isaiah 53, verses 2 to 6. And from those two passages, I'm going to make four pretty brief observations. Firstly, like Barabbas... We all are guilty. In the lead-up to Jesus' death by crucifixion, we read that the Jewish leaders hand Jesus over to Pilate. Pilate has him questioned, but Jesus remains silent. And then we're told that as was the custom, a prisoner was brought out, and on the people's request, that prisoner would be released. In this case, Barabbas comes out, and we know that he's in prison because he's committed murder. And that he deserved not only to be in prison, but he deserved to die for his crime. Barabbas is clearly guilty. And in our guilty, innocent culture, we know right from wrong, don't we? We know that when someone does wrong, they deserve a punishment. But it's easy for us, in the 21st century, to sit here and point a finger at Barabbas and say, you're guilty, and almost get on our high horse about it. But what's more difficult for us is to look at ourselves and realize that we too are guilty. 
It says, doesn't it, in Isaiah 53, verse 5, that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. I don't think that there's many murderers in the room. But we need to understand that whilst perhaps we haven't murdered anyone, we all are guilty. For some of us, that may not be too difficult to understand. You know that you're guilty. Perhaps you feel guilty. For others of us in the room, it's possibly harder to admit. But we're guilty because we fall short of God's perfect standard, as well as our own standards, if we're honest. And not just by accident, but we do so willingly. We rebel against God and we live lives for ourselves, giving very little attention to God. I love breakfast. Who loves breakfast here? Yeah? We all love breakfast, right? And um, for me, when I wake up in the morning, I can't wait to go downstairs and have a big bowl of cereals with loads of milk. I love it. I can't wait for it. And uh, often I get downstairs to find that there's only a little bit of milk left. I know. I know. And there's only enough, really, for one person. (laughs) First come, first serve, some say. But you see, in that situation, I've got a a number of different choices I can choose from. Firstly, I can go to the shop and buy some more milk. Secondly, I could use some of the milk, but leave some of the milk for my wife, Amy, to have a cup of tea. Thirdly, I could choose to have toast that day. Or fourthly, I could just take all the milk and have it for myself. Can I ask you, which choice do you think I often make? (laughs) All right, it's shameful to admit, okay, it's shameful to admit, but I often take all the milk for myself. You're shocked, aren't you? (laughs) Terrible. But it's moments like that that reveal to me just how selfish I am, that life is all about me, and I think more about myself than my wife. Martin Luther, a German theologian who played a key role in the Protestant Reformation, once said that sin is the heart curved in on itself. Someone else put it like this, at the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Just think for a moment about your own heart. Can't we all be self-centered? Just even think about this last week. Have you said something that you wish you hadn't? Have you done something that you wish you hadn't? Have you thought about something that you know you shouldn't have thought about? There's going to be an opportunity at the end to bring those things to God and ask him for forgiveness. But the first step is to admit that there is pride, envy, jealousy, lust, selfish ambition, greed within every human heart. We fall short of our own standards, let alone God's standards. So just like Barabbas, every single one of us are guilty. And that sin separates us from God. We're guilty sinners, and it's impossible to enjoy a perfect relationship with an innocent, pure, and holy God. My second point this morning is like Barabbas, we all deserve a punishment. Suppose for a moment you are out in Catford shopping on a Saturday morning, minding your own business, when a man comes up to you, 
violently pushes you down and steals your wallet or purse. And then he runs away. You chase after him, but you can't find him. You call the police, give them the best description you can of the man and your purse or wallet. And a few days later, you receive a call from the police saying that they have found the man and they've recovered your belongings. But then the police tell you that they've let the guy off. No court appearance, no fine, no prison sentence, not even a warning. What would you say? That's unfair, isn't it? That's unfair. How can someone just be let free? It's unfair. When people do wrong, they deserve to be punished. It's easy to say that, isn't it? Until we are the guilty ones. We all want justice until we are the guilty parties. You see, in order for God to be fair, he must punish those who do wrong. There's no getting away from it. It says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the punishment for sin is death. You see, it's obvious that Barabbas deserved death for his crimes, but it's perhaps less obvious that we deserve death for our crimes against God. Death that involves a separation between us and him, both now and for eternity. We deserve to be cut off from God. But it says in Isaiah 53 verse 5, the punishment that brought us peace was on him. Like Barabbas, we're guilty. Like Barabbas, we deserve a punishment. But the good news of the gospel, the great news of the Christian faith, is that the innocent one, Jesus, takes it all upon himself in our place. Moving on to my third point this morning, like Barabbas, Jesus takes our place. In Mark's account, we see the vivid substitution that takes place. Barabbas is up for murder. He's a murderer. Jesus is totally innocent. We know that Jesus is totally innocent, don't we? Because Pilate asks the crowd, after they say, crucify him, crucify him, Pilate responds, why? What crime has this Jesus committed? Barabbas is a murderer, Jesus is innocent, and the crowd calls for a substitution. They say, we'll have Barabbas, give us the murderer. That guy, Jesus, that innocent one, ah, crucify him. That's the substitution that they want. And it's ironic, isn't it? It's ironic that the crowd chooses the one who takes life from others rather than the one who gives his life for others. It's ironic as well that the name Barabbas means son of the father. It's ironic that Barabbas, the guilty son of the father who deserved death, is substituted for the real son of the father, completely innocent, yet suffering in his place. They chose freedom for Barabbas, and they chose crucifixion for Jesus, even though he had no interest in harming anyone. And didn't you pick up from the reading that Jesus is brutally crucified? He's unfairly mocked. He's struck on the head. He's spat on. A crown of thorns is dug into his head. He's flogged so badly that his skin comes off that you couldn't even recognize him. And he was forced to carry his own cross. 
All that was bad enough that most people just died from that. But then Jesus gets taken. Nails get hammered through his hands and his feet. He gets stuck on a cross and hung up to die. Did he deserve that? Of course not. Barabbas deserved that. And on a a more deeper level, so did we. But the great thing of the gospel is that Jesus substitutes himself onto the cross out of love and grace for us. And you know what? He qualifies to be our substitute because he was perfect in every way. He lived a righteous life, never sinned once, so that on the cross he was able to pay the penalty for all of our sin and not his own. And as he hung on the cross, he literally bears the weight of the sin of the whole world. Do you know that Matthew's gospel tells us that Jesus could have called down 12 legions of angels to save him right there and then? But he didn't. He willingly suffered for us. In the reading of Isaiah 53, it says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The imagery here is taken from the Old Testament book of Leviticus. On the Day of Atonement, which happened once a year, the high priest would take a goat called the scapegoat. And the high priest would lay both hands on the scapegoat and confess all the sins of the people onto the scapegoat. Literally transferring the sins from the people to the goat and the goat then would be released into the desert. In a very similar way, On the cross, our sin is transferred onto Jesus, and he bears the punishment. The only difference, of course, is that the system using the scapegoat had to keep being repeated year after year. But with Jesus, our even greater scapegoat, his sacrifice covers all our sin, past, future, and present. Isn't that glorious? Every sin, past, present, and future, Jesus takes upon himself on the cross so that we can be forgiven and we can also be given his righteousness. Gareth Griffiths was involved in a horrendous skydiving accident which happened in 1997. He was skydiving with his instructor when something terribly went wrong and they started falling towards the ground. One newspaper reported it in this way. A British skydiver survived a 13,000-foot plunge to earth because his instructor sacrificed his own life. As they hurtled towards the ground, harnessed together with both their main and reserve parachutes useless, American instructor Mike Costello flipped over, literally putting himself underneath Gareth Griffiths. That meant he hit the ground first, and Griffith landed on top of him partly cushioned from the impact. Mike Costello, of course, died instantly, but amazingly, Gareth Griffiths suffered only a crushed spine and was paralysed. Isn't that an amazing story of self-sacrifice? One person giving their life for another. But with Jesus and the gospel, it's even much greater than that. Jesus is a greater sacrifice because he was God, completely innocent. It's also a greater sacrifice because Jesus didn't just die for one person. He he died for all of us so that we can receive salvation. Jesus' death means that anyone, no matter who you are in the room, 
who trust in Christ can be forgiven for their past, present, and future sins, but also be given his righteousness. Do you know that you aren't just given a clean slate? You aren't just given a clean slate. In fact, you are given a perfect slate when you trust in Christ. You're seen as perfect and righteous. And his death was so that we could all be set free from sin and death and live a new life with him. Finally, before we respond by breaking bread together, my fourth and final point is this. Like the soldiers in the story, we all fall on our knees. Notice that in Mark 15, verse 19, it says, Again and again, the soldiers struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. These soldiers have the audacity to mock Jesus. They fall on their knees and they cry out, Hail, King of the Jews! Hail, King of the Jews! They do it in a mocking way. And the reality is that every single one of us, at some point or another, have mocked Jesus. But soon enough, the mockery will turn into reality. The soldiers hail him king of the Jews, but we read in Revelation 19 verse 16 that Jesus is the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. It says in Philippians 2 verses 9 to 11, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The reality here is that the soldiers will all need to bow their knee to Jesus, not in a mocking way, but in surrender and worship, acknowledging that Jesus is Lord. A question for all of us this morning is that have you, have you personally, metaphorically, fallen on your knees? Have you metaphorically in your heart bowed the knee, literally bowed the knee to Jesus and put your trust in him as Lord and Saviour? At the cross, a great substitution took place. Jesus Christ, the innocent and obedient eternal Son of the Father, who knew no sin, became guilty and took upon himself the sin of the whole world so that we who are guilty could become innocent, so that the unclean could be forgiven and become righteous. I wonder, do you get it? Do you understand? Salvation comes from God. And you know what? The only way we can receive this salvation is through trust in Christ, because salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. In a moment, we're going to break bread to remember Jesus' death. And we're going to drink red juice, which represent his body and blood. But before we do so, why don't we all respond by just bowing our heads, having a moment of silence as we reflect on what he has done for us. And then during this time, you may want to confess your sin and recommit your life to Christ.